There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello everybody and welcome to the second series of the Human Podcast a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. This second series is dedicated to our very human stories of grief and loss, because when you dig down into the core matter of these experiences, what you actually discover is possibly our most unobserved and uncelebrated capacity for courage, resilience and love. Grief requires an expansiveness of self that stretches us to a fourth dimension the extraordinary thing is that we can contain it, live with it, and that somehow the human heart can hold it all. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. So how lucky am I, how lucky are we today to be joined by Clover Stroud, so Clover is a Sunday Times best-selling author, a journalist, a heroic mother of five gorgeous children. She has lived an extraordinary life, which is documented in two best-selling memoirs, and most recently her modern Bible on the unspoken detail of motherhood, My Wild and Sleepless Nights. Her debut memoir, The Wild Other, is a story of life-defining personal tragedy and the subsequent bravery with which she has lived her life since. Clover has the most incredible gift to write about the way living truly feels. The lives we had before our losses often become hyper-illuminated against the strangeness of our grief-loaded new realities, and Clover certainly was a halcyon one, set against the idyllic English countryside, a bustling family of five children, horses, and what you described as a mother who was just love. But when Clover was 16, her exquisite mother was tragically injured in a horse-riding accident, her injuries were so profound they meant she was very severely brain damaged for 22 years until she died. During the years after her accident, you have said she was both alive and dead at the same time, and that against the backdrop of your family's previous life, the impact of this event was as violent as flames licking through a house, burning everything that's there and leaving the heart black like charcoal. Now Clover, whilst the many years of painful, ambiguous loss whilst your mother was still alive and then... The subsequent death of your mum have been a life-defining experience of grief in and of itself. There has also been the overlaying of some other truly quantum losses that have added new dimensions to your experience and comprehension of this thing called grief. And as we are recording this today, it's less than a year since your extraordinary sister Nell, the founder and director of the world-famous Gifford Circus, died. 
So whilst a huge part of your relationship to grief has defined much of your teenage and early adult life, it is also very recently renewed. And so as we step towards this incredibly brave conversation today, (laughs) I'm aware, Chloe, that this is something which has multiple centres of gravity inside you. And so rather than starting with a particular focal point or experience, I thought it was best just to start with a question which is easier to ask answer than others sometimes which is just how you are today my love <laughs> I'm um I'm quite emotional today mm. I'm pretty emotional today actually although my children would probably say I'm quite emotional most days <laughs> um yeah I mean you know we're going into winter I've been really aware of the the darkness and the closing down of the light. And this time of the year is absolutely woven through with big and massively significant and sad and traumatic anniversaries because Mm -hmm. mum's accident was in November and uh, she died um, in December and Nell died in December. My mother's sister as well, her only sister was killed on a on a quad bike accident in 2017 and that happened in October and my husband had a massive accident <laughs> three years ago which left him very injured although he's okay now but that happened in uh November as well so I can feel myself sort of bracing the kind mm. of the feeling of the emotional muscle memory because it's there it completely lives with you on a sort of cellular level I think and the and the sort of triggers the kind of very strong in the same way I suppose that nature is incredibly healing it, the the triggers of it getting colder and it getting muddier I mean I live in the middle of the country it getting muddier and um it getting darker remind me very strongly of the exact events you know the exact mm. time leading up to these events I think particularly with Nell's, the anniversary of Nell's death, the first year coming up is a big deal. The first year is such a, I mean, people always say the first of everything. I don't know if ever, I don't think it gets easier with necessarily with the second or third Mm. of everything, but it's, Mm. I know this has been an absolutely huge year for you, hasn't Mm. it? Yeah, it has. And I mean, one thing that I found profoundly sort of confusing, essentially, is that when... Nell died. Nell had cancer since 2015, but she died very, very quickly and very, very suddenly and very unexpectedly because she was on a very good um, program and she had a great oncologist and he was he was optimistic about about keeping her cancer at bay. And he had said, I mean, ten days before she died, he said, you know, you've got a outside chance of living for another 10 years Mm. he was definitely saying five years and I had sort of been in my mind thinking trying to be realistic and thinking you know maybe three or four years be realistic about this three or four years and then she suddenly died in the space of two days so um when that happens you have a kind of whole new world order and the new reality takes a long time to get your head around and the shock of it but when you're also then living genuinely in a new world order, i the world has actually changed, the kind of layering of grief and the confusion of grief is like, am I confused 
because Nell's died suddenly and I'm trying to understand that? Or am I confused because life has profoundly changed and it's a huge thing to kind of get your consciousness around, mm. essentially? And I think that those two things happening at the same time have sort of added to the confusion I feel that when you look back at the old world, it seems kind of mystic. You know, the fact of Nell being alive seems kind of beautiful and mystical, like mm -hmm. a whole different world. And now we're in this new world where there's, you know, a virus and we're having to scan our phones for track and trace to find out whether we've all got a disease. That sounds so kind of dystopian and so weird. Yeah. And um, that sometimes I think like I sort of, you know, the two things coming at the same time has been has been extra confusing and shocking. And a big part of grief is is the shock of it. When my mum died, she had been profoundly brain damaged for 22 years, unable to look after herself, unable to walk, talk, doubly incontinent. So essentially, I should have been prepared for that death for 22 years. But when it, when she did die, I still felt a massive sense of shock and a mm. massive sense of disbelief and massive sense of having been robbed of somebody's physical presence, even though I, she hadn't been like emotionally present to me since I was 16 and I was in my late 30s by the time she died. Mm. So I think the shock of grief is something that kind of seeps into you you know have you found that that it sort of takes oh, totally I mean and, and it's something I I still how could this thing which is is the only certain thing about living feel so unnaturally painful mm. you know mm. and, and why are we not more kind of why are we not more evolutionarily equipped mm. to, to to deal with it because it does feel so shocking it's it's shocking in in so many different ways. It's and and I still have bolts of that shock mm. now. Mm. But yeah, it is the most certain thing about living, mm. which is a strange paradox, isn't mm. it? I think it's interesting as well the kind of experience of going through grief. Well, I grieved when my aunt died as well, but like the very closest family, so my mum and my sister, like going through that e extreme grief twice. I didn't feel any better. I mean, talking about whether we're, how prepared, you know, we can be from a sort of evolutionary point of view, even though I'd been through it once with mum, with Nell, I didn't feel any sort of more able to cope with it. Mm. I was aware of the kind of physical dislocation that I felt after she died was really, really familiar, that kind of sense of being in a surreal world and yeah. not really being able to understand what people were saying or I remember when mum died like holding some coins in my hand and just thinking like what are what are these things I didn't know what they were what I was supposed to be doing with them and um so I think there is like a familiarity with the process the feelings the outside edges of the feelings mm. um and I'm really interested but I remember when we were talking when Nell was first ill and I met with you and we talked and we were talking about old age and how, you know, old age is a kind of a brutal thing because you're going to have lost lots of the people that you love. And I always remember being really struck by that. And I wonder whether you, if you, some of my best friends are in their 90s. I've got a couple who are, Zana and Nikki, who are really close and they, all of their friends are dying 
pretty much all their friends have died. And the way they talk about it is quite sanguine and, mm -hmm. you know, it's part of their lives. And I suppose I wonder whether grief becomes... Um, well, it does become part of the way you live. It has to be part of the way you live, doesn't it? It almost has to be like a creative part of your life. It can't just be this bad thing that's happened to you and that, and that you're trying to kind of expel from yourself because mm. you have to feel it. You have to look right into it. And I think that that idea of it being something that you live... And that's what I'm trying to write about in this new book is like living with death, living with a sense of death around you and kind of familiarizing yourself with it. And um, I would like when when I die for my children to kind of know, at least know where they would have a knowledge of what I believed in about whether there was a life after death or whether, you know, I'd like them to know my ideas around death. Because I start, I wish I'd talked to my sister more about it. Where she felt she was going. Yeah. yeah. And I was writing something about, like, I wish... You know when some when you look for signs, don't you? You frantically look for signs. And in this kind of magical thinking of the early bit of grief, you see them all over the place. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're totally. hypersensitive. And There's an amazing C.S. Lewis quote in the book, A Grief Observed, where he says, when he's talking about the death of his wife, it's like she became like the sky, she covered everything. I thought that's such a lovely way. It's of, beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. But then I find myself like frantically looking for signs. I was in a charity shop the other day trying to find, I can't remember what I was doing, wasting time when I should have been working probably. But I saw this little plastic horse and I thought, oh, maybe that, because Nell loved horses, maybe that's, that's I should buy that because that's like a sign from Nell. And I thought, no, it's just a crappy little plastic horse in a charity shop. You can't like equate everything with her or you know you can be out in nature and think oh that rainbow or that robin that that's her and then the kind of um almost like shame I, I wrote but I was writing about it sort of like I almost feel like a, sh a sense of shame when I'm trying to like find her in things because it's almost as though I'm trying to test her and test destiny and test God and test the universe and test myself to kind of locate her and of course you can't in such an obvious way, but I wish, I wish that I'd like had a conversation with her where we'd said, when you see this thing, then that's me. Because I think it, even if it's mm. a bit cliched, but it would be nice to, uh, and I think I will at some point like talk to the children, my children about that. Like, this is how I will manifest myself. But of course you, I mean, you know, it's a, there is no certainty. That's the, that's, that's what we're talking about. But but I think there is this there is this kind of almost incomprehensible thing about death. And so I think we lean into the incomprehensible mm. to help us understand it mm. somehow. Mm. To help, help us, it's like if this thing that feels so incomprehensible can happen, mm. then surely, you know, incomprehensible things can happen too, like the plastic yeah, horse yeah, in the charity yeah, shop. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I suppose in, in a sense what you're leaning into there is 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 broadly what people lean into faith mm. for when mm. when people die mm. it's to lean into something which is bigger than mm. life mm. or bigger than our understanding of life as mm. we know it because mm. in that space maybe we still find them mm. and I think it's the bridge I think a lot of that kind of leaning into sort of faith related stuff which the plastic horse isn't but it's part of the same yeah it's it's part of the same quest I think 
Do you, do you know what I mean? No, it's... definitely. And also in faith or belief or a sense of another world, you know, a, a further horizon, you're basically looking for a kind of, you're wanting to like fall into something in some way or another, aren't you? You're wanting to, um, to kind of hand over agency maybe a bit as well, mm. which is I think part, well, partly certainly what faith is about. If, if you have it, that idea that giving yourself over to something bigger and incomprehensible and just being um, trusting in the knowledge of its existence. And I think sometimes I touch on that and sometimes I really, really push back, mm. back from it and don't feel it at all. And I would love to have very strong faith. Um, and sometimes I feel like I do and sometimes I, I really, really don't. But the kind of... I think it's also wanting a, you know, the idea of peace. Grief is very, very tiring, isn't it? It's exhausting, yeah. And you want, like, the kind of, um, you want a cushion to fall into. It's also very, I mean, I've found it incredibly solitary. I've got five children. I'm, I love my husband enormously. I'm really close to him. I talk to him about everything. He's very emotionally articulate and engaged with me and our lives. But the path through this year has been really solitary because mm. nobody can walk it. You have to walk it alone. Mm. Um, it's impossible to kind of somebody else to walk it for you. Because our, our experiences of, of grief are a manifestation or an expression of the unique fabric of the relationship we had with that person. Yeah. The, the trauma and, and the loss and the sadness that you've experienced are, are totally part of who you are. Definitely, and I and I thought that, and I would just love you to sort of talk to us a little bit more about that because it's not all you are, but it is part of who you well, are. It's a huge yeah. part of who I am, and um, I was when Mum. I had a really, really stable, loving, idyllic childhood. I'm the youngest of five. My eldest sister Emma is like 15 years older than me, and we had a, you know, it was normal family rows and family tensions and all that kind of stuff. But it was really lovely as far as family life goes. And then mum, um, mum's accident happened so that one day I was going to school, I was in the first term of my A-levels, and then Nell came into school and said mum's had an accident. And what happened that day was she fell from her horse and she sustained really acute brain damage and she was then in a coma for three months. And um, the, the trauma of that, I was because I was 16, I think that I was particularly kind of wide open for um for it to kind of imprint itself into me and become mm. part of who I am part of my neural pathways yeah and because what happened to her was sustained because she had this brain damage so she the, the the traumatic experience went on essentially for 22 years worrying about her my relationship with her what had happened to her where she'd gone I mean for the first 10 years we were like trying to help her get better and she lived at home with us for two years and me and Nell were doing I was doing my A-levels Nell had just left school and my elder siblings and my dad were all in London and me and so me and Nell were on our own at home in the country with mum and so when I look back at that and I think about my own teenage children now and the care that I put to kind of around them and then I think about the sort of loss of stability and the loss of home and the and the kind of I mean, me and Nell talked about it before Christmas, actually. She said it wasn't just, like, something 
frightening happening. It was like something so dark and so mm. wrong happening because mum was not there. But then when she woke up, she was so brain damaged and so physically and mentally changed that it was like, it was a really, it's a, it was just a really, really traumatic thing to to go through in a sustained way. Mm. So trauma has been a really motivating force for me. It's really, um, it's been a, it's been a creative force in my life. Definitely, mm. it's it's destabilizing and it's and it's unsettling and it's disturbing. But it's also made me do a lot and live a lot and experience a lot. And um, it makes it kind of keeps me running in some way or another. Mm. And I can't really imagine my life without it having been there in some way. I heard I heard you, Clover, describe <laughs> this in in a in a very simply in a very wonderful way. You said you describe your your grief as holding beauty in it. You know, it made me think that you know many many people do associate this thing of grieving as just a kind of quite a kind of dark, sort of morbid, heavy space. But you know, hearing you talk about all of this quite electrifying stuff that you mm. find in your grief, mm. which beauty, mm. as I've heard you, mm. you know, in your writing, you know, which is included, made me think about, you know, at times, you know, the, 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 the searing power of it can be awakening, you know, mm. and, I, and I've felt at times, you know, in, in relation to how I felt about my mum, a kind of awakening level mm. of, of sadness um, and that it kind of creates this almost, it is a kind of ex, exquisite, agony mm. and aliveness mm. which mm. is an, an unexpected part of it actually mm. I mean opposite from flatlining I mm. feel it kind of supercharges mm. everything mm. and the whole kaleidoscope of mm. life that supercharges the intensity of, mm. the, of the dark shades and it really supercharges the beauty Definitely. of the colors of everything else and I and I just don't think that's part of the mainstream vocabulary on grief. And I think, you know, it's quite it's quite helpful to put those kind of colours out there in, 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 into the language. I think it, I'm really interested that you talk about colour in relation to it, though, because I have found the colours of this year really vivid. And obviously there's the kind of the magical thinking of the first few weeks and first few months. But I always find it strange in a way, I don't want to see another book about grief that's got like a black cover with an outline of grey leaves or something on it, mm -hmm. because that's not what grief feels like. It's it's way brighter. It's way more angry. It's way more vibrant. And in this book I'm trying to write at the moment, I'm writing colour is a huge part of it. In fact, the chapters are even going to be named after colours, actually. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, um, and I think vibrancy is a really is a really really a really good a good word for it actually and the feeling that i mean one of the things that i found interesting that people say to you and you don't people do not normally say this if they've been through profound loss but and i know people are saying it well in, in a well-intended way but when people say i can't begin to comprehend your loss i oh can't begin to understand yeah. how you're feeling i can't begin to imagine what it feels like which when nell died made me feel so fucking angry that people kept saying that because I kept thinking, A, go and use your imagination and like read read something, go and watch a play, go and watch an amazing film, go and like 
Go and just imagine a bit more and be, are you saying my, my loss is so great that I'm over here in, a, in an incomprehensible world on my own? And, and it's confirming, it's validating that you are alone in the way yeah. that you feel you're alone. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. So when people have said to me, I'm with, you know, I lost my sister or I lost my, you know, whoever, an important person, or, you know, I'm really here for you. I'm really present for you. You don't have to say to somebody, oh, I know how you feel, because we never really know how other people are feeling. But to say, I am, I'm present and I'm there. And um, I think that that's a really, a really sort of, I mean, talking about like opening up the conversation, I think that's a really, really essential part of the conversation is mm. to say, not, oh, I can't imagine it. And, you know, and the sort of context of that is I don't want to imagine it. And almost it will mm. never happen to me. It will happen to everybody. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because it, in a way, that phrase is just, it's just a platitude. It's a platitude, yeah. That people rely on. Mm. I think because too often, you know, well, I, I think our cultural language around grief is almost non-existent. So people's personal expressions or attempts at expressing it even just in relation to kind of you know empathy with another person mm. it kind of buckles into the inexpressible mm. because people can't draw on mm. the kind of specificity of the the, the experience mm. so they they rely on the platitude mm. and actually they don't realize how how fucking unhelpful that platitude <laughs> is and, and if you actually think about what it says i cannot imagine how you feel what people really mean when they say that is i'm so I'm so sorry for this terrible thing mm. that you're going mm. through. And I, mm. and I, it, it's almost trying to kind of honour the enormity of it. Yeah. But it, it, it keeps It's the trying one to step. be respectful, it definitely. It is, it is. But I, it's, you're not the first person to say that to me. I, mm. A couple of other people that I know that have had huge, huge losses have said that was, it's one of those very kind of um, silent daggers mm. that twists mm. when um, you're particularly in the very early stages of grieving which is this thing around it kind of validates what is already one of the most kind of difficult parts which is this sense of isolation and, and yeah. aloneness yeah. you know and it almost speaks to that yeah. exactly you know sharing the grief experience sharing the pain sharing the journey sharing the weirdness the colour the excitement the you know the all of the challenges of it makes us human and I guess that's what that's why grief can be extraordinary as well because mm. it kind of underscores your humanity basically and your connections to other people and I certainly seek out people who have you know walk the path as well that's what I say to, when when friends of mine have had losses I say like I'm walking the path with you mm, yeah so that People don't, because the, the alone, I mean, I think the aloneness is mm. a really, really, really huge part of it. Mm. And um, Liz, Elizabeth Gilbert is a um, good friend and she... Oh, she's amazing. She is amazing. And she sent me this email after Nell died saying, I'm sitting outside your door. And that feeling, and you know, she's in America, I'm over here. She wasn't literally sitting outside my door, but the sense of solidarity mm. of loss is essential basically isn't it the sense of kind of um going through something which is a human experience I, I want I wonder my husband said something to me once when um it was actually when my mum was very 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 ill and we had just kind of 
we just moved into the, the, the phase of her, her illness where it was now clear that there was nothing more that could be done. Mm. And so, um, which is such a painful, such a painful transition. How long was that? How long did you have in that period? Um, well, this was probably about four or five months before she died. Mm. Um, it was more around kind of lack of access to kind of, well, treatments that were going to work really. Mm. Um, anyway, he said, I was, I was in absolute state about the whole thing. And, um, I remember, and I just wanted to hear your thought, thoughts on what he said to me, mm. which, which I actually found incredibly liberating. Mm. He said to me, whatever happens, it will be okay. And mm. at the time when he says that, I think because I was so kind of just generally just fucking fraught yeah. in every way, I really lashed out at him and just, I was quite, in the moment I felt really livid about that because it felt it felt insensitive it felt that you know he, he could bloody well say that all the rest of it mm. but actually as it settled mm. it was probably one of the most reassuring mm. and liberating things mm. that anyone could have mm. said to me mm. because this was before I um I, I'd I'd never I'd never lived alongside someone as they were dying, basically, mm. and I had no idea what was going to happen mm. to, to us, to mm. me, to her, what mm. was going to happen beyond the, this end point. Yeah. Weirdly, how you feel before you give birth for the same time in a different way. Yeah, this yeah. This kind of, this absolutely, um, it, you just, this portal which you know you are going to go through, yeah. but you have no idea what it's going to be like and what's going to be like on the other side. Anyway, I found that incredibly liberating and I wondered, and, I, and it made me just think more and more over time about this thing of you know starting to talk about the fact that it is okay to die no i know it's that's what's extraordinary what does that mean i wonder well that's about i think it's a really great thing that he said and i think it's a it's a brave thing to say because uh, you know as you say you lashed out and and i can imagine it was very helpful but i did nearly fucking kill him But basically what he's talking about is grace, isn't it? It's Mm. about kind of giving yourself over um, into a state of grace and the knowledge that it will be okay. And that is what is extraordinary. And that's, I think, why it's colourful and why it's exciting, why grief is also exciting, because it is okay. Mm. Even the acute pain that you feel finds, you know, Space, space, yeah, exactly. It finds space. That's a good way of putting it. It's that doesn't take away from the fact that it is the most painful thing that you can imagine. The feelings really, really hurt, but it is okay, and that you do, in some way or another, assimilate that person and kind of take that person right into your soul and I something I'm really really working out now with Nell because when when people said that to me to start with like oh you know she'll always be with you and celebrate the things that she liked and enjoy the memories I felt really angry about that Mm. like what am I just supposed to like cook a nice chicken in the way that she liked to do it and that's supposed to somehow kind of you know um console me or am I supposed to look back at photographs and feel happiness about what's going on but actually in a really profound way I can feel myself 
and it's only sort of started so we so it's what is it november yes yeah, so i'm about a month off a year so mm. it's taken basically pretty much a year but it's been happening the last couple of months a feeling of her like <sighs> being genuinely present to me not in a the happy memories not in the kind of um things that she enjoyed but a a presence an actual spiritual presence and not in a woo way not in a but I can feel her and it's and what I find interesting as well is her it's me and her as adolescence not me and her as adults you know oh, and all that I can feel you found each other but in a different time in your life yeah god wow which I which you know, it's interesting as well because now so amazing, Clover. No, that's I mean that's been that's been something incredible and something um, again. It's a solitary thing. It's a thing that only I can do. And I would not have said that was going to happen a few months mm. ago at all. I would have I would have like really really been angry at somebody who said that they thought that was going to happen. But I can I do feel that I can have a ongoing relationship with her mm-hmm. and, I, and that I can completely bring her into my life and I can completely um connect with her the other day I mean I thought it was the other day I was at her grave and I was talking to somebody on the telephone about something that was going on actually so I'd gone to her grave it was on Halloween I went to see her I was talking about and then I had to make this phone call about something kind of quite stressful that's been going on and I walked back down to the car and I I suddenly realized I hadn't said goodbye to her so I'd like, oh, oh, bye now. And I was, and I realised I was talking to her just as though, like, we were saying goodbye and I had to rush off. You know, it wasn't a kind of with the sort of heavy solemnity of the, a graveside conversation. It was mm. a communication. It was like a sort of easy, elastic accum- a, a communication mm. in the way that you and I might be communicating. Mm. And that felt, I was really surprised and really amazed and really delighted because mm. it didn't feel as though... I had to go into a special place to talk to her. It was like she was, she was, you know, I'd forgotten to say goodbye. It was as I was walking, it's a very steep hill down from her grave. And I sort of called up to her. And actually my son, Dash, who's six, he said something a few months ago when, when, which is a real sort of out of the mouth of babes. But he said, he was walking back down the hill from her grave and he went, oh, bye now. And then he said, oh, but actually she's with us she's coming with us because she's with us all the time (laughs) and um and I do feel I do feel an increasing um faith in the way that she can be with me and we can be we can continue to have a relationship and and but that is something that's kind of taken this whole year to get to that point and I'm hoping Mm. that as time moves on that relationship will become stronger in a way and Mm. more vibrant and more vivid to me Mm. how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I... 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 I can relate to what you're saying so, so specifically that, you know, I've, I've been writing something recently just about, which I'm still kind of meditating on, but it was it, the kind of anchor of it is this thing of, we are each other. Mm. Mm. We are each other, you know, through the way that we live, the way that we love, you know, we, we become so, it's like our lives are a process of kind of interweaving these kind of invisible threads of kind of love and time and experience and sometimes they are complex and imperfect but it develops this 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 actual fabric that connects you Mm. which is so real Mm. it's so true that you don't actually understand how real and it is until somebody dies mm, and and I think mm, for me the experience mm, of my mum dying mm. I mean the actual experience of her dying um in the moments after she died was was like being ripped at the seams of my the, the, it, a place deep so deep within me that it's it kind of it's it's in the cosmos do you know what I mean I felt the cells of myself were being ripped, like yeah. separated and you know, I um, and I think in lots of ways the the experience of of grieving and coming to terms with their death is is almost like a process of sort of re- learning how to restitch your your edges mm. with the fabric, which is still the two of you, but mm. it's 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 how to make yourself whole again. Mm. And I think we can make ourselves whole again over time. Mm. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that whilst the pain is still so exquisite in your loss of Nell, maybe there's a sense of kind of wholeness, which is 
returning, which allows you to kind of come back to each other somehow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that that's why this conversation about grief is so important, about death is so important, because if you could have really connected conversations with your children about this... Mm. this sense of the kind of oneness of being part of each other could be even stronger mm. you know when my mum had her accident I was only 16 I hadn't really ha- I hadn't had conversations like this with her mm. she'd often I mean she really loved us and she used to say to us I'll never leave you and even when I die I won't be gone I'll be with you I'll always be with you um and I guess that is that's as that's as connected as it needs to be nothing really more needs to be said but I wish I wish me and Nala talked more about it but she didn't want to really talk about death and because of her cancer diagnosis of course I had to you know respect that did you Mm. talk to your mum about death you know we never we never spoke about it explicitly Mm. we never spoke about her dying we never spoke about we had one conversation after we were given her prognosis um and she just said she just said darling I just love you forever and you know and that was all she would ever really say whenever it was you know the more and more it became in the room with us that's just what she would just say. She would say, darling, I just love you forever. And actually, that's, that's, that is how I, I, I feel that love still so, so intensely, mm. you know, and I, mm. I, I feel that active, the activeness of that love inside me in a, in a very, very, um, in a very, very, um, kind of searing way. And, um, but she did speak to other people about her dying. Um, and I know that she spoke to one of her best friends about it, which was quite... I was quite... Not not shocked. I think I was kind of... I was... I don't feel it was a conversation that was denied mm. to me with her. I don't think it's a conversation I... I don't think I could have had it with her. Mm. I think it would have been too painful for, for both of us. I think we knew what was happening. Mm. It was just... It was too, it was too, it was too agonising to say it out loud. And, um, uh, but my mum had incredible, you know, use this word grace. I mean, she had such sense of, she, she didn't fear what was happening. Mm. And she would often say, you know, with love like this in, in your life, what could you possibly be scared of? And I think that's really how she felt, you know, and, and... I do think, you know, through I mean what I've ex- what I've experienced through losing my mum that 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 love, <laughs> without going to sort of and and I think sounds too cheesy, but this is true is the eternal part of living. Yeah, because that is the thing that you feel so intensely when mm. they when somebody does die. But do you think it would be a good thing if? I mean, I don't know if you didn't have that conversation with her because she had terminal cancer at that point, because I know that's definitely the reason I didn't have that conversation with Nell. Yeah. And I wish that... And that's what we... You know, we were talking about at the start of this conversation, like talking... I want my children to kind of 
I want to talk to them about as much death as I can. In the same way that I want to talk to them, you know, about love and sex and things like that. You mm. know, the things that matter. Yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's like, oh, they don't want to talk to me about... I mean, I don't endlessly make them talk to me about sex, but like to talk about connection and human connection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mum. <laughs> Less on the BJs on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you talk about human connection you should talk about human separation you know I completely agree and I and I think yeah I completely agree and I I, and I and I do wonder why you know maybe we didn't talk about it more I think I think it was but you know this kind of lead this kind of leads on to to the next thing that I wanted to, to kind of talk about which is that you know why is there still such a disconnect between the visceral intensity of the experience mm. and the wholly unformed shared language that we have to express it? Why do you think that disconnect well, I don't still th- exists? I don't think it does in all cultures, but I think it's right. the same reason we can't talk about sex in this country. Mm. Like We're massively repressed and massively prudish and massively scared of... of um, kind of humanity, really. And... and, and I, you know, other cultures don't have that. They do have better communication. They have better rituals. Also, I think it's a kind of like a lack of rituals as well, I think is is part of that failure of language mm. because rituals, in a way, can take the place. Sometimes language, you know, immediately after somebody dies, language does fail you. There isn't... It's very difficult to kind of... Um, to to find the words to say what you're feeling and that's why ritualized prayer or you know the idea of sending a ship out into the ocean on fire or or burning candles or Mm. you know I found after mum died I'd been brought up in the church of England and I was incredibly bored by that as a child but after mum died I was really grateful I knew what to do in a church actually and that I could go to a really solemn place I found it as a really really useful place to like uh you know whatever you think about spirituality of it as an actual space to hold my grief because when you go and walk out in the street and you're grieving it can be extremely confusing and frightening Mm. and disorientating Mm. and the world you are so sort of um distanced from the world and I found going actually into Catholic churches and the kind of beauty of them and the kind of, uh, you know, the incense and the icons was was really, really reassuring because it felt as solemn and ancient and eternal as I was feeling. Mm. And it kind of matched my feelings, I suppose. But I think it's, it's part of a cultural uh, problem in this country, basically, about talking about, tr- you know, the truth of emotions Mm. and something that we really really don't like doing but I don't think it's a human problem I do think it's it's a part of yeah yeah, yeah. I think so a British more of a British Mm. a a British issue Mm. 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 I do I do think there's something around but I, I I think it's I think it is it's very problematic because what that does is it forces people to to I think I think it forces people to to squash, not feel the stuff, or to to feel it, but to feel it in an incredibly isolated yeah. way. I think um, it forces it to 
quite often just to kind of squash this thing that mm. really does actually need kind of to be exercised mm. Mm. um and I think it can make people feel incredibly alone at a time when actually human kind of connection mm. is the thing that mm. carries you through I've got a friend who's had a lot of loss and she said um look after the living you know yeah. as well <laughs> and often I think with the children with my children the kind of um you know try these are obvious things I suppose but like putting yourself into the present moment and I think that grief mm. definitely definitely does do that and I think I spent quite a lot of the early parts of my life like kind of like longing the confusion around mum like longing when she was in her very very brain damage like longing for the past basically and actually slightly longing for the future where she you know people may be shocked to hear this but like seeing her really 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 brain damaged I wanted her to die I wanted her to be released from that mm. state not immediately because I didn't really none of us realized what her life was going to look like but mm. after a few years when we realized how much she had lost and the physical discomfort she was in and the emotional mental anguish of her place I wanted her to die so I was you know I was wanting to be back in the past with her and then I was wanting to wanting to be in a future where where we could all be released from this thing and mm. and and I look back at the last you know going with Nell to the hospital when she was when she was really ill not when she was really ill when like the day that she got her secondary diagnosis mm. and sort of she was so brave and incredible and she was bloody funny as well she said like so we went back to the circus and we'd had like quite a profound afternoon. We'd gone to this field that we went to as kids and and she said, you know, Nell was very tall with shaved blonde hair and she was wearing like a floor length fur coat and massive probably Gucci shades and she said like um, Nell was an icon, by the way. And she hadn't <laughs> she gathered said, she was a She said, icon. Don't worry about me because I'm gonna be a legend, a dead legend. <laughs> <laughs> she is. <laughs> Which she is. Um, I wish that I could just go back to it and know that she was alive in that day and it was a day and we could have lived that day again. I wish I could go back and say to my younger self, those days that you were in, that was your, you know, that is your life. And that's what I try and do at the moment. The feeling of like, you know, it's very easy. My family life is quite stressful. There's five children coming in out of the kitchen. There's work deadline. Husband's gone away for months for work. All the normal things that people are going through. But, like, try <laughs> to be present amongst it. Mm. And, like, you have to force yourself to do it, don't you? Mm. And not be kind of spun out by the by the pressures. But, like, I wish I could inhabit those days with her again. And I think it obviously grief really starkly brings you up against the idea that those days are the only thing that really matter, you know. They are, but I also don't think we should let our grief play a kind of trick on us which can somehow um, manifest regret. Because yeah. because I, mm. you know, I... the the. Every day, every moment that you had with Nell was an expression of the active, real interaction of your living relationship mm. and mm. how you respond 
to the various other things that you were experiencing in your lives at the time. I mean, on that day, it would have been unusual for you to have not felt the profoundity and pain of that day. Mm. How could you possibly not have? Mm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I shouldn't. I don't think yeah. we should let death or grief mm. make us feel kind of frantic by the opportunities that we wish we could rewrite mm. because mm. every single one of those mm. was an authentic expression mm. of living. Mm. The kind of regret is totally part of grieving as well when someone has cancer and mm. I guess lots of different diseases like the feeling of I could have gone to more appointments so I could have been there more I could have I could have um you know I look back at my phone and there's like a date when Nell says should we meet for lunch and I can't because I'm on a work deadline I just think a oh, fucking hell like oh, I, sh I should have done it but you can't like there is as you say imperfect life is there as well you have to live your life but it's authentic it's, it's authenticity yeah do you know what I mean it's and you you were sisters mm. and being sisters can be it can be we had passionate and volatile and fights. joyous yeah. and you can you know mm. simultaneously mm. filled with rage mm. and love and mm. passion for mm. each other but it mm. you're also autonomous and independent mm. and mm. that's what it is to be sister you know for you yeah. to you know that's and that's okay to be busy on a day when you were do you know what I yeah. mean no, and totally, I think we have to let totally. ourselves off the hook of those because mm. I because it's it can drive you crazy no it can drive you crazy that feeling of you know, and quite often if someone dies in, in a very, very sudden, tragic way, whether that be an accident or something like that, it's very common for people to feel this kind of terrible pang of regret and mm. guilt for, mm. you know, not having gone to see them that day before when they'd said mm. you go for a drink mm. or mm. the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Mm. I mean, the what ifs are really, really mm. the beginning of roads to very, very, very difficult places within grief, I think. No, I think definitely. if we can step away from the what ifs, only the better part things will happen do you know what I mean I for me that those are roads to really dark places no I definitely definitely agree with that and and now now I was with Nell when she died I was we were together for the last two days of her life and it was like very deeply connected um and but one thing, a positive thing that I do feel, though, is that it, um, rather than allowing that sort of regret to be turn into a negative, I do, I'm aware that in my relationships now with people that really matter to me, like my dad and my stepmother, for example, I'm saying yes to things more. And mm. I guess that's one of the good things about grief, then, is like making you more more present you know to that you know there's that quote I think it's Anthony Hopkins and I talked about it on my Instagram recently where he says you know swim in the sea drink the champagne mm. have all the laughs fall in love do those things say yes to the experiences of life and mm. he ends with this he says like none of us are getting out of here alive which me and Nell <laughs> used to actually say to each that was when we talked about death we used to say that because mm. Because we thought it was funny because, you know, it's a sort of like grimly, grimly truthful kind of humour of it as well. Mm. Of We're all heading in the same direction too. Because we talk about, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, Nell's going to die as though I wasn't going to die in some way or another. You mm. know, that sort of, and, and that feeling of being able to be someone who says yes to life, although that sounds like a terrible cliche, but like being someone no, who is present to life completely is is a great thing it's a good thing so Cobra, one of the things that I really 
one of the reasons I really, really want to do this series is because I, I just believe that when we look beyond this kind of, the, 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 the name of this thing, grief, which people often find it so difficult to hold eye contact with. Mm. I think if we go beyond that and we, we look into the in in into into the detail of people's stories what we actually find is the most extraordinary human capacity for courage mm. and for for resilience mm. and for love and i just think that needs to be celebrated mm. because the incredible thing about grief is that you know it's there's no hero's journey to grief we mm. don't overcome it there's no mm. kind of triumphant end but what is extraordinary and what I do think should be celebrated is our incredible ability to hold it mm. and to expand enough there's such expansiveness in grief mm. and that the space you find within yourself mm. to hold the enormity of mm. these feelings and I um and you know and and one of the big things that I think is 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 part of the kind of un the kind of really um, uncelebrated parts of grief is, is courage mm. and how much courage there is in grief. Mm. And I, and mm. I, and I just see so much of that in you, just, just in the way you live your life, who you are every single day. And I was wondering if you, you know, just for our listeners, if you could just, as you do so, inc- so incredibly just to explain what for you courage feels like. It's a really, really good question. And I think that for me, courage is about, um, it's about looking directly at what's happening and um, kind of walking towards it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's looking at it, looking at it, looking at the pain, looking at the darkness directly in the face and, and, um, and not looking away. And I think um, that one of the things about grief and death and trauma and illness accidents is that we think of these as things that have gone wrong, of like periods where life has gone wrong and bad things have happened. And I think courage is about realising that they are fundamentally, you know, as much of life as the the you know wonderful periods of joy and or short-lived periods of joy (laughs) (laughs) snippets of joy (laughs) but the the darkness is not um it's not it doesn't mean anything's gone wrong and Mm. this is your time this is your time to excel in a way and like we don't um I mean I think managing our emotions sometimes I think about kind of Knights going into battle. We don't really go into battle anymore, but but we do um, like literally go into battle anymore. But but facing up to the to the sort of emotional pain of life and to the loss that's there and the sort of loss that's woven into life and to the you know many many difficult things that happen to everybody eventually is 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 kind of where life opens up and it and it um and it becomes the kind of vivid stage where you can really excel. And so in a way I suppose it goes back to the idea of trauma that like when the dark stuff, the difficult stuff happens, um yeah, it's the moment to it's the moment to kind of embrace it and then you become more human, I suppose. 
and you become more open and you become more alive and and that i think that's probably what courage really really means to me is yeah it's that looking looking you know like like looking at the sun but it's darkness it's like looking looking into the blinding darkness and walking towards it yeah as we've spoken about a lot today i mean i, I think um so much of the language of of grief and loss too often buckles into the inexpressible and and, and a big part of what i want to do in this series is to really start to build out the richness you know a rich tapestry of 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 language Mm. and um both through the words and the stories of our incredible guests and also just to have a moment with each guest to talk about um to kind of um incorporate the language or offerings of 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 other people Mm. that you know whether it be an artist or a writer Mm. or a poet Mm. who you feel has managed to really articulate this thing in a way that's Mm. really really spoken to you Mm. as a kind of contribution as 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 an extra contribution to the conversation and I was wondering what you know what you would like to to share with us with us today well I do I think I mean one of the ways of dealing with with grief and and pain is poetry certainly for me is like a really really big part of it and it's an increasingly important part of it um somebody said I mean I really like Instagram I really like sharing feelings on Instagram and I find it really useful I find it really useful place of communication with other people but somebody sent me Something which was by by Dante, which is in the middle of the road of my life. I awoke in a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. Mm. I really love that quote because, again, it's about that idea of like grace and surrender. And that in the face of death and in the face of grief, there's actually nothing else that you can do. You can't resist Mm. it. Um, you know is the leveler it is the presence that will be there for absolutely all of us and I was I was really aware as my sister lay dying in hospital over the course of two days of this kind of feeling of death coming into the room and in the same way that you cut there was nothing that we could do to stop it in the same way Mm. that giving birth to my five children once I was giving birth, there was nothing that could be done to stop it. It was there. It was coming. It was this kind of massive force that was um, acutely disturbing in both cases, both in death and in birth. And I think that that feeling of of surrender to it is really humbling as well. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to kind of think more about this idea of grace, the kind of idea of handing something over and living in a present way and living in a kind of state of greater stillness I suppose um and yeah I think that quote from Dante really kind of embodies that feeling Mm, I think I think you know digging down into into this thing of grace you know quite possibly we we discover acceptance Mm. and I think Mm. acceptance Mm. is a hugely Mm. is something that really is a huge part of what enables you to make Mm. peace with this Mm. fourth dimensional thing yeah um no, I, I I hear that. I hear that so truly. Really, what we're saying is, when we feel connected to each other, we feel better. Mm, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. And um, and also, I think the kind of darkness of birth is really. You know, we think of death as a really dark thing, and of course it is. Like the loss of that person dying. Um, Nell had a 
extraordinarily beautiful death. Completely wrong and grotesque that it happened when she was 46. But she died. I mean, she couldn't have, like... She was a director and she'd, like, stage managed her death so well because she was there over... Uh, you know, two days, she had all conversations with lots of people. It was really, really, really profound. And she was incredibly courageous and incredibly peaceful. And the room was... It wasn't a beautiful room. It was a hospital room. But she was in a really beautiful space. Birth is, you know, ostensibly this kind of light-filled place of new life, which it is. But my experience is it's fucking dark as well you know it takes you to the extremities and I really believe that when you give birth you go you know as close as you can get to the veil basically Mm. and as close as you can get to the to the to the kind of brink between the two places and um and I think that that's also partly what maybe what postnatal I mean I've had postnatal depression before and I think that I think that it comes down some, to, to to do with something about being disturbed, you know, by by mm. having been at this extreme place. It's almost a kind of post traumatic yeah. kind of stress. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. But I think that the you know there is a beauty. I think it, I think it's really important to if you we don't know how we will be born. We don't know how we will die. Obviously, and um, I think it's quite important. I said to somebody, I can't remember who it was, oh, Nell had a really beautiful death, and they really said, oh, how can that be possible? You can't have a beautiful death. But I think acknowledging that that it, it can be an incredibly beautiful thing is as important as acknowledging a birth can be a beautiful thing as well. I completely agree. And to be present at that time is a massive privilege. You know, mm. it's a huge, huge, huge privilege. And... Um, and that's kind of by saying that I am kind of treating it with the solemnity and respect that it deserves mm. as well, rather than just saying, "Oh, it was a terrible, th- you know, it was a terrible thing that shouldn't have happened." It was sh- she had a she had a beautiful passing. She did, and and I, you know, I think of her. I also believe that we go on that our next bit is as creative and and kind of adventurous as this bit is. And I do believe that she's out there adventuring and creating as she did in life. And sometimes I feel excited for her too. Mm. But I miss her. Nothing takes away the missing. I know. <laughs> However much you oh, talk darling, about we need a the fucking glass of wine, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> However much we talk about the opening up of life, the missing just doesn't. No, it doesn't. Nothing takes away the missing. You know, Clover, your your gift is just this absolutely extraordinary ability you have to articulate the the inarticulatable and. The, and you know you it's such an incredible power and a gift and I just hope you know what that means to so many people in, so in, nice in every aspect that. that you do it you know the way you've spoken about motherhood the way you've spoken about your experiences oh of, of grieving of tragedy of bravery of courage and 
I just want you to know what that means to so many people, myself included. Well, that's really, really, really and so just, nice of you I to hope say you that. Know that about yourself. Well, it's really, it's <laughs> really, really nice hearing that, and it's really motivating in terms of my work as well. Mm. And it makes me feel like I'm doing something that's important and that matters. Clover, if there was a song that it was possible to dedicate to our our conversation mm. today, what would that be, and why? Um, there's a song, I grew up listening to country music and I love the melancholy and I love the yearning of country music. Um, it's really in my soul and it's all, you know, it's often about like a search for home, I think, and a search for kind of a place and, and actually the home and place is something I'm, I'm very, very interested by. But there's a song called Poncho and Lefty and there was a version sung by, um, Willie Nelson and I think Waylon Jennings. And it's a great story and um, of kind of friendship and adventure and death and betrayal. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it so much that when I got married for a second time, we, we got, our party was in a pub afterwards and uh, I was pregnant. And, um, and I got this, and there was a little band playing, these, these friends who were a little country band, and I got them to to play it as our kind of like first song. Not that me and Pete were dancing with each other because we were having conversations with other people at that time, but I really <laughs> wanted that song to be part of it. It's a great tune. It's a great story. I love it. I absolutely love it. We love you so much. So here we are to play out today. This is Poncho and Lefty, Willie Nelson. Living on the road, my friend gonna keep you free and clean and now you wear your skin like iron and your breath is hard as kerosene you weren't your mama's only boy but her favorite one it seemed she began to cry when you said goodbye sank into your dreams Poncho was a bandit boy His horse was fast as polished steel He wore his gun outside his pants For all the honest world to feel well, Poncho met his match, you know On the deserts down in Mexico And nobody heard his dying word Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score, five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.